The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Does one great start erase six terrible starts? Reed Detmers? We're about to find out. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, August 17th. I am Frank Sample, joined by all the Chris's, Towers, and the Welsh. Today on the show, Jesus Lazardo. Looks like he's hitting a wall right now. The Tigers might have a fun, young offensive nucleus. Reed Detmers took a no-no into the eighth inning and much more. Before we get started, help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Let's jump in. Oh my good goodness gracious. Oh my goodness gracious. The Yankees are under 500. Let's talk about another team. Uh, Towers, you are up. Player of the night. Yeah, and we usually like to keep things positive, but I'll put on my Yankees fan cap here and and act like the sky is falling. Uh, No, Jesus Lazardo, Miami Marlins pitcher. I am obviously a Marlins fan, and he had another kind of disastrous start today. It's it's been weird because I, I think he gave up three home runs in the first inning to the Astros, ended up giving up five runs overall. Uh, three walks, three strikeouts, and three and two-thirds innings. The thing is, we're not seeing like the typical signs of a pitcher hitting the wall. He's not, you know, he's not seeing a giant decrease in his velocity. It doesn't really look like his mechanics are way off or his you know movement profile has changed significantly. It's just he hasn't been as good. And so that's a tough thing to figure out because, you know, like we've talked about with Sandy Alcantara, his teammate, when you don't have like the specific, I don't know, tangible, actionable things that you can look at and say, well, this is why he's been bad. That makes it harder to to take action, right? It makes it harder to say, oh, well, now you can drop Hazel Zardo, who's had now four starts in a row where he's allowed at least four earned runs. Uh, looks like 20 earned runs in. Gosh, less than 20 innings over that span. His season whip is up from 1.15 to 1.29 over the past five starts. ERA from 3.22 to 4.13. And the thing is, five starts ago was arguably his best start of the season. Remember, he struck out 13 over seven innings against the Rockies. Yeah, it's the Rockies. You know, maybe that's maybe that's a tell, but. It's it's hard to pinpoint exactly where things have gone wrong for him. He's not getting strikeouts anymore. But, you know, it's not like the velocity's down, like I said, or the movement profile and his breaking pitches has changed dramatically. It's I don't have a good explanation for Luzardo's struggles, but he is at the point where he's thrown more innings than, than any other season in his career. And so it could just be that he can throw as hard as he did before. He can get the same movement, but he has to overcompensate in some way that makes him less effective. 
or maybe it's just four bad starts. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things. Can I ask a question? I'm curious. Do you guys, regarding the wall, do you believe the wall is, I guess it's probably primarily based maybe on innings, but do you think there's any other factors? Do you think the wall can be the stretch of time being in the major leagues going over, you know, let's say five months, even if there's some starts that are taken out. Uh, you know, I don't know what type of actionable like articles have been written about, you know, is August the primary time where we see these walls start being hit or is it a percentage over what they're used to doing? I'm just curious, just thinking out loud about like, cause there's a lot of guys, you know, the mm-hmm. Frank, your show sheet tonight, it's got a lot of pitchers that are just not performing really well. And you can kind of see that across the board. This is wallish type of season. I was just curious, especially you two, if you associate it more with innings or maybe with just this time of year, uh, you know, changes, weather changes, how teams are uh, doing differently, hitters, all that, all those factors. It's I, I haven't done the specific research to look into it. I'm sure someone has. And maybe there maybe it's a myth. You know, I, I'm open to the idea that it's just we like notice lineup protection. Yeah, like it might be one of those things where we just notice when a young pitcher throws more innings than they have in the past and they struggle. But when, you know, a a guy who hasn't done it before doesn't struggle, it's just like, oh, he's just good. And, you know, I'm open to that idea. I'm always I'm always open to the idea that our our hoary baseball cliches are nonsense. That's that's one of the most fun things about, you know, the the sabermetric revolution or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it's uh, I don't have a good answer either way on that one. Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Welsh, uh, we saw a couple other pitchers here on Wednesday. Aaron Nola, it, frankly, it's just been a pretty bad season all around for Aaron Nola. Yeah. But Kevin Gosman did not pitch well. Justin Verlander did not pitch well on the other side of Lazardo. Luis Castillo did not pitch well in Kansas City. And all those are very different situations than Hazel Lazardo because none of those guys are at any kind of innings uh, maximum yet. Also, K's are going down. Like Verlander has been struggling with strikeouts. I think he had two today. I feel like we've seen way more Mm -hmm. low, like four under K game. It just seems like the and maybe it's the adjustment of pitchers trying to be maybe less aggressive and play to defenses. I there's a million reasons to go and then hey let's throw in uh, the shift change and what that has done to this year. When you're I just it got to me when you were talking about like mm-hmm. I you know you wish you had a tangible reason behind what's going on in this instance with Jesus Lazardo and it also kind of brings up the the myths of, you know, the ethos of baseball where you're like, oh man, there's, you know, just all these factors that we don't think about. And there's the walls and there's inning caps and there's so many things. This is just the time of year where I feel like it all just rises and there's all these players. And I wish there, I wish there was tangible answers to every single one of these on why this guy, you know, why is Sandy Alcantara turning it around now while others are struggling? And is it about the innings and going deep, going six or seven innings into games? It's, it's, you know, there's no good answer. And it's just a posed question that we can all kind of think about. I I do. I did notice that uh, strikeout rate is up in August in particular. Um, Interesting. Up to third. Sorry. Did I say strikeout rate? Yes, you did. Home run rate is what I meant. The home run ah, rate. I was uh, like, really? Strikeout rate. rate. I feel like it'd be lower. Yeah, strikeout rate's more or less in line with where it's been all season. Um, but the home run to fly ball rate is up to 13.7% in the month of July. In the first half of the season, it was, let me pull that up. Sorry, 12.3%. That's a pretty significant jump. And, yeah. you know, obviously that's something that we expect as the season goes along. We've seen that. You know, especially last season, it was pretty pronounced. But that was one thing I did notice in, in doing some research earlier today. Last couple points on uh, Jesus Lazardo. It could just be that this is a really bad stretch for him, as you pointed out. I mean, there ha- it's kind of been a roller coaster ride this season. If you look at, yeah, you go like every five starts or whatever, it's like the production has been at some points really good for Lazardo, at some points really bad. It might just be a really bad stretch for him. Uh, pointing out the innings, he is up to 137 and a third. Last year, he threw 112, so he's already 25 innings past that. His previous career high, 124 and a third back in 2021. So, again, just to put some kind of numbers and context there on Lazardo. Uh, last point I have on him is, Chris, you mentioned that we don't really see it in the velocity or the movement profile, but I just wonder if kind of hitting the wall for Lazardo might be he's not hitting his spots. 
And you yeah. see that over his last four starts, he's getting crushed. Lots of hard contact, lots of home runs allowed. And it could just be that. Like, he's off by a little bit, and boom, hitters are taking advantage, and, and this is the result that we're getting from Jesus Lazardo. Last question on him. Um, I don't think we're dropping him. He's 96% rostered. We know his upside is still really high. Do you start him next week? He's at the Padres. Padres lineup overall has not been great this year, but they are fifth in Woba against lefty. So if there is one way they excel, it's against left-handed pitching. Mm, I'm probably, I feel like I would sit, I mean, I feel like you can get the K's in there, but if you are massaging your ratios and stuff like that, when does that start? Is that the beginning of the week? Uh, that is, it'll probably be if he pitched today on Wednesday. Yeah, it'll probably be like a Tuesday, Monday, Monday Tuesday game. Yeah, but I he's feel like not, I, I'm probably avoiding. But he's not a uh, two-star pitcher next week? It doesn't look like he is. Okay. Uh, that would be, yeah. That, so that, if he's a one-star pitcher, I think I'd definitely sit him. In a two-star week, if it's a points league, it'd be harder to get away from him. All right. Well, so let's go over to you, your player of the night. Well, Spencer Torkelson has been doing some stuff lately. I don't know how much you guys have been talking about him. Probably plenty. Six homers over his last seven games. The batting average is still not there on the season. But, you know, one thing I just wanted to bring up, obviously, he is a guy that is on a nice little stretch right now. One of these good, a lot of corner infielders are kind of picking it up. Somebody that you can get out in your lineups if you hadn't already been. But you want to talk about, you know, good timing to build value for next year. Torkelson has got all the beautiful signs of a player that you want to buy into next year outside of just looking at what is a pretty friendly baseball savant page. When you look from a slider perspective, you're looking at hard hit, uh, all the EVs, X-Woba and stuff like that. This is of a guy that you're going to expect that's going to be a 35 plus home run hitter. The strikeouts, a little bit of a problem. The expected stats also sitting in a in a really positive range. 259 expected batting average, which is almost 30 points higher than his current batting average. Average EV on the year, 92.4, which is top 8% in the league. His barrel percentage at 13.8. We're getting close to double what it was last year. And the hard hit percentage, top 6% of the league, under 25K percentage. I think there's been some bad luck as far as where the batting average has gone. It speaks to the expected batting average. I think he's going to carry this in push 25 plus homers to the end of the year that's being very simplistic about it and his pace he's going to hit 30 but yeah. Torkelson from a dynasty perspective I think is a awesome buy in whatever capacity you could still buy right now because I think he's trending in a great direction where we're going to see a turnaround next year this is a very smart baseball player you know he has been dealing with pitchers specifically pitching to him in different instances since ASU and the hard hit numbers are through the roof. He's getting back to finally barreling. He's crossed over that 10% range, which I'm looking for. He's up mm -hmm. to 13 with, you know, elite ish hard hit numbers. I think everything is giving us huge, huge warning signs that Spencer Torkelson is ready for a breakout. And we might be experiencing some of that within the last six weeks of this season. So this is a great time to buy. This is a great time to keep managing. I don't know what his ownership uh, percentage looks like. I bet his roster percentage has probably recently been decent, but overall, on, the, on you know, let's say the last month, it's probably been under 40%. But I think the batting average is turning. All the other numbers are going with it. You get guys like Riley Green hitting in front of you. Just a big time for Spencer Torkelson and a big buy, I think, going into next year. He's going to be someone I'm very into. And he's someone that... You know, the advanced metrics have liked a lot more than the the standard metrics. And it, it's been one of those cases where we've been trying to figure out, is there something in his profile that just makes him prone to underperforming? There are some guys that that is true. And you look at his actual WOBA for the season, it's 314. His expected WOBA has been higher than that every month this season. Um, 321 is his lowest. He's been over 350 in three of the five months so far, including 425. In uh, August, he's actually underperforming quite a bit in August relative to his expected stats. His uh, average exit velocity, 95 miles per hour Oof. in the month of August. He's been absolutely red hot. And yeah, I mean, look, incredibly talented player, was one of the top three prospects in baseball before last season. So the fact that the, the underlying metrics have been pretty good all season has made me optimistic that we were going to get a breakout at some point. And, you know, uh, hey, another win for the nerds. We got Bobby Witt and we got Spencer Torkelson, a yeah. second half breakouts. Look at I'm that. I'm glad you also brought up that because that was something I want to mention. I was looking at the rolling chart and 
almost a month ago to the day on uh, July 17th, he was rocking a 308 expected Woba coming into tonight. 412. I mean, that is a rolling month chart expected Woba. It's the highest point of the year. He's really finding a groove and he's got all those expected metrics that are pushing in his direction. And really just pointing out, you know, having another two home run night just shows you that we are in that space and we're moving into mm -hmm. that space, though the batting average doesn't quite tell you that. Spencer Torkelson very much in on buy for next year and just feel comfortable with the rest of the season, even after, of course, a very awesome night. Last question on Torkelson Welsh. Would you rather have him or Josh Bell in redraft leagues moving forward? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I will go with Torkelson. Uh, I, I don't want to take anything away from Josh Bell. Uh, I also don't want to take anything away that that's not like a great offense that he's hitting in front of. But like my whole point of this thing with Torkelson right now is like the trend that we're setting into. I think this is going to be a six week trend through the end of the season. You know, six homers in the last seven games, a couple multi hit homers. I think he's going to carry that through the end of the year. And I want some of those big power numbers. Josh Bell has definitely kind of revived everything. And there's some of that offense in front of him that's a little bit better. Uh, I think I'd be fine if he went either way, but I'm really kind of riding the Torkelson uh, train through the end of the year. I mentioned at the top, the Tigers might have a young, fun offensive nucleus, too, because if you look at just this game in general, Riley Green, three for four with a monster mm -hmm. home run, 111 exit velocity, four, four, yep. 448 feet. It was a moonshot. Uh, he's batting 309. He's got those 11 home runs, 859 OPS. You know, the, the home runs and the steals, they don't stand out, but he did miss a big chunk of the season as well. But the batting yeah. average and OPS look great for Riley Green. He's 80% rostered, so not really out there in many leagues. The other name is Kerry Carpenter, who went two for four with his 16th home run. He's batting 286 with an 868 OPS. He's playing every day now. He's playing against righties and lefties. He's still just 51% rostered. Uh, Towers, I'll ask you this question. Um, would you rather have Kerry Carpenter or Max Kepler moving forward? Max Kepler is somebody who has uh, been pretty hot recently. He went one for four with his 20th home run here on Wednesday. Uh, he returned in late May. So his last mm -hmm. 66 games, Kepler is batting 251 with 14 home runs and a 12% barrel rate. Sneakily has been pretty good. Uh, who would you rather have, Kerry Carpenter or Max Kepler? And, and we have seen Max Kepler be a pretty good fantasy option. You kind of have to go back to 2019 to get there when he had that 36 homer season. But he's always been someone who has had you know, pretty good underlying metrics and has underperformed them somewhat consistently. And I don't think that's a mistake. He pops up quite a bit. He is very pull heavy, very fly ball heavy in a way, you know, when he hits the ball to the pull side that keeps his batting average down, but he doesn't necessarily have like the huge raw power. So I do think I would go, you asked Riley Green or, or no, you asked Kerry Carpenter or Max Hepler, right? Yeah. Yep. I'll go Kerry Carpenter as much for the fact that we haven't seen him fail as anything else. But I do think Kerry Carpenter is just a good hitter as well. And just a shout out to, again, the Tigers. They've got these young players that are coming soon too. Colt Keith, they got Justin Henry Malloy. This mm -hmm. lineup actually might make some noise over the next couple of years. So uh, shout out to those Detroit Tigers. Player of the night for me, I am going to go with uh, Reed Detmers here who took a no-hitter into the eighth inning. And uh, so I posed the question up at top. Do six awful starts uh, get erased by one great start? Because in his previous six starts, Reed Detmers had a 10.3 ERA and a 193 whip. In this game, he uh, wound up throwing seven and a third shutout innings. Uh, still four walks. He did have five strikeouts. Limited the hard contact. Um, I didn't notice anything too crazy here. He threw more curveballs, which technically has been his best pitch this season. Uh, his velocity was down. Maybe that was by design. Maybe he you know, does a better job commanding his pitches when he takes a little bit of velocity off. I feel like we've kind of had that theory with uh, Reed Detmers all throughout the season. But overall, it's it's been a disappointing year. A 493 ERA, a 137 whip. This was a fantastic start. Towers, how much are you buying into uh, one great start following six very bad ones? I, I feel like we're, this is like a theme with Reed Detmers. Remember last year he had the no hitter and we were like, ah, he stinks. And we ended up being right. He got sent back to the minors like four starts later. I don't think he will get sent back to the minors this time, but I don't see much from this start to be optimistic about moving forward that he's figured something out. The velocity was down, like you said. Movement profile on the curveball was a little bit different. Looks like he was getting less sweep, you know, less horizontal movement. 
maybe that's by design, maybe, you know, getting more of a 12-6 movement profile on it can make it a more effective pitch. But five five strikeouts, four walks, and seven in the third innings, not particularly impressive there. So I don't know. Like, we're pretty much past the point where you could trade someone, so I don't even want to say, hey, at least it's a trade window. If you want to add him and he was dropped, that's fine. But I, I don't look at this start and say, yeah, I feel better about Reed Detmers now. What's so odd about it, too, is it's like you'd be like, oh, OK, well, let's play matchups. This would have been the biggest. Nope, I'm good matchup. Yeah, We're not yeah. going to do that with with the with the Rangers coming in. So I think he's volatile. I think that's exactly what you said. I was trying to look this up. I couldn't quite find it. I wanted to see per pitch what the zone percentage was on this season because three of the or two of the top three pitches he throws because changeup and sweeper accounted for practically nothing they were over 54 percent zone mm-hmm. percentage so you take uh, a velo tick down and you take what i'm kind of presuming his season total zone percentage is 51 percent. that's all pitches combined uh these are 57 and 54 so my thought process is like you think about velo coming down and hitting the zone more you're pitching to more contact because you were loosey-goosey with your command in general which may have been kind of putting him a step back it doesn't lead to anything it still makes me think this is an inconsistent guy maybe i'm going to be a little bit more likely in a really good scenario to try Mm -hmm. to throw him out there but i don't i I think he's dangerous i think he's dangerous for your ratios right now and six to one doesn't make me feel any better regardless of no hit innings to eight so i'm i'm pretty dicey on detmer's rest of the way The other waiver wire pitchers who emerged here on Wednesday, Mackenzie Gore had one of his best starts of the year against the Red Sox. Six and a third shutout innings, only one hit allowed, only two walks with seven strikeouts. The uh, bad news is that he left this start with a blister on his left index finger, so frankly, we don't even know if he's going to make his next start. That is Mackenzie Gore. Then there's three names that you could, as of now, they look like two-star pitchers for next week, so you can kind of beat the waiver wire, get ahead of it right now. Mike Clevenger, seven shutout innings with seven strikeouts at the Cubs. The matchups next week, the Mariners and the A's, it does not get much better than that. Uh, Javier Assad, back-to-back quality starts for him. Two starts next week at the Pirates and at the Tigers. So again, it does not get much better than that. Uh, Paul Blackburn had a great start at the Cardinals. Seven shutout innings with eight strikeouts to one walk. Uh, And even him, he's facing the Royals which I will point out, the Royals' offense has been very hot in the second half, uh, and at the White Sox. So pretty good matchups up and down here. Uh, Welsh, who do you like most? This group of five pitchers, Mackenzie Gore, Reed Detmers, Clevenger, Assad, and Blackburn, those last three with two starts next week. I mean, I think these are built around all inconsistent options. I mean, I you know, I think long-term, I immediately go to Gore. I've, I've loved the stuff that has turned around for Gore this season, especially walks coming back down. I think this is leading into a really good path for the future. That doesn't help for right now. <clears throat> Offense stuttery. Uh, I don't like the idea of the blister. That's going to hold him back. That could be a start thing. Detmers, I've already told you about. I hate to say this because I feel like I have just been dismissive, but it, it's Clevenger. I mean... I don't even think it's a question between these five. Detmers is not somebody that justifies must hold. Either does Mackenzie Gore in 12, 10 formats. Clevenger, since the second half, four starts, a 1.57 ERA he's put up. A sub one whip. He hasn't had an over four ERA since uh, May, which was four and a half. Again, it's not like a ton of starts. I think that equates to seven starts, but he has been good. The strikeouts are there. And the matchup. I think really, truly, the matchup speaks for it. Because if you're talking about talent, it's somewhere between Detmers and Gore is the top, you know, group. Clevenger is maybe the second one. I didn't want to say the word that everyone's waiting to hear if that won't because Scott's not here. And then the bottom two, Assad and Blackburn, like they live in their own little basement down there. So I'll go with Clevenger really based on the matchup. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. I mean, it, it just the process doesn't really support what Mike Clevenger is doing right now. Yeah. But again, those matchups, Mariners and the Oakland A's for next week, I'd, I'd be pretty excited about that. So uh, long. Did, ser- Go ahead. Sorry. Did you mention that Gore left his start? Yes. OK. Yeah, that, um, that was. Yeah. So it's Clevenger for me. I, I guess if you play in a points league and you're looking for a relief pitcher, Javier Assad uh, is a spark. So keep that in mind. But uh, I think I'm probably going to put Clevenger at the top of that list, even with this great start from Reed Detmers. Uh, let's uh, wrap up here on the oh my goodness gracious. Give some love to Christian Walker. I mean, this dude, 
he must enjoy Coors Field because uh, he is going ham right now. Three for three with the double dong. He has five homers over his last five games. Just an unsung hero this year. Yesterday, Scott and I kind of went through some hitters that we haven't talked enough about this year. Christian Walker is one of them. 275 mm -hmm. batting average, 28 homers. He even has eight steals and 894 OPS. The guy has been money. Any quick thoughts on Christian Walker? I feel like uh, Spencer Torkelson could grow up to be Christian Walker. Yeah. Like that's who he wants to be when he grows up. Mm -hmm. And I think that is attainable. Uh, he's that's a double digit uh, barrel percentage guy. Homers are there. And I, I just go back to, you know, this is like Tower is a little bit of like the statty thing. But last year, you know, worst Babbitt in all of baseball in the first mm -hmm. half was Christian Walker. And then he proceeds to have like what was like a 280, 290, whatever it was, insane second half. It built back and we get to see who the real guy was. Those expected, even if it's just Babbitt and expected batting average was telling the story that this guy's a much better hitter. He destroys mistakes. He has light tower power. Max EV is pushing 114 this year. And uh, I think, you know, again, it speaks for itself, even though he doesn't put up wildly insane hard hit numbers he knows when to find it it's a great offense they trust him without so many players in front to be in scoring position which has helped walker and friendly hitting environments that uh, christian walker maybe one of the most underrated first basemen if you were to take like the top 15 first basemen i'm not sure if you'd be able to find more than two other guys that you could really put like a underrated claim on over walker if you just had to Make a guess on where Christian Walker ranks this season in five by five roto leagues overall, not just at the first base position. What would you guys say? Uh, overall, I would say I'm going to go with in roto, I'm going to go with 63. Towers? I'm going to say like 25. I want to change mine to 55. <laughs> Entering Wednesday, Christian Walker. Was the 25th overall player? Wow! Look at this guy, cheater. Look at me. Look at this Look guy. At how did you get did, 50? How did I you was, get 25? I was looking it up. <laughs> I think last week before a podcast or, or after a podcast. I think it was. I think I was giving you guys some trivia on on guys Thank who were ranked in the top 10 or something, and I I did uh, remember Christian Walker being surprisingly high, and that was before obviously four home runs and three games at Coors Field. Yeah. Uh, oh, my goodness gracious. Player of uh, play of the night sequence of the night, I guess of the day, because this was during a day game, a pinch hit inside the park home run by Luke Rayleigh, who, if you haven't seen this play, it was very interesting. That was fun. He hit one of the like the brick wall in right field mm -hmm. in Oracle Park, took this crazy bounce, kind of rolled across the top of the center field wall, kicked all the way back across center field. And it was easily an inside the park home run it was not close i've yeah it wasn't I even i'm like, watching it yeah. i'm watching it too that's wild because it hits off there and it hits off the top right where a homer would be it did like a double bounce and then it yeah. just flew over to left i mean if there's a park you're gonna hit a inside the park home run and it's gonna be in san francisco yeah it's one of those fun ones where if you look at the expected stats it says home run 30 out of 30 parks he just happened to hit it to the one park. Well, I mean, technically correct. The well, best kind was. of correct. But yeah, it was, uh, that was fun. Yeah. It, it bounced so far that like it careams past the, the center fielder and he has no chance to get it. And I think that the left fielder ended up running past the center fielder to get it. That was a, uh, that was a fun play. A very, very fun play. Let's take our uh, first break here. And when we return, Talk about some a waiver wire hitters, some really fun young players. We spoke about the Tigers. Zach Geloff, the dude just continues to mash. We'll talk about him right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. 
At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, and a quick aside here. Our friends over at the Fantasy Football Today podcast, they have their annual draft-a-thon coming up on Wednesday, August 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. They've been raising a bunch of money with all of it being donated to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And if you want to help contribute, you can head to tinyurl.com slash fftdonate, and you'll find a bunch of fun listings on eBay and actually going up Tonight, when you're listening to this podcast or whatever, we're already past midnight Eastern time on Thursday, August 17th, we are going to have two listings go up regarding this podcast, a spot in our 2024 FBT listener league, as well as a guest spot on this very podcast. So again, head to tinyurl.com slash FFT donate, or if you're watching us on YouTube, scan the QR code in the top right corner of the screen to start bidding. Again, all proceeds will go to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Let's talk waiver wire hitters. We already talked about the Tigers a little bit earlier, and we do have some also fun, young, exciting third baseman in Key Brian Hayes, Royce Lewis, Jake Berger, all of them are doing something interesting lately. Okay, Brian Hayes on fire since returning 13 games, a 314 batting average with three home runs, and a 95 mile per hour average exit velocity. Uh, Royce Lewis uh, recently returned. This was his second game back. He went three for four with his second stolen base. He had four hard hits in this game, two of those over 107 exit velocity. And Jake Berger went three for four with a double, two runs, and two RBI. 14 games with the Marlins. He is batting 333, and it looks like he is consciously trying to make more contact. He only has a 19% strikeout rate with the Marlins compared to a 32% strikeout rate with the White Sox. Towers, lots of names here. Uh, how would you rank them? Okay, Brian Hayes, Royce Lewis, and Jake Berger. I think I would go Lewis, Berger, and Hayes. Um Royce Lewis, that that dude just hits. Like I hope I don't know if he can stay healthy. It's been a really tough time for him throughout his career. He's torn his ACL twice. He had the oblique thing earlier this season. But I mean, all he's done, it's a small sample size in the majors, but we're talking about like close to a 900 OPS overall in like 60 games. I, I really believe he's just a very, very good hitter who just needs to stay healthy. So I'll go Royce Lewis. Hayes, there, I don't know if you guys have seen, there's been some like Matt Chapman discourse on Twitter talking about like, how he is like fourth in the majors in barrels, but he has the lowest production on yeah. barrels or something. It's some 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 stat that you would think like, oh man, this guy should be better than he is. But one thing about Matt Chapman is when he hits the ball hard, he tends to hit the ball to the power alleys, which are a misnomer because it is hard to hit for power to the power alleys. He hits it to left center, right center, and center field where it's furthest away. And so... He tends to get a lot of doubles. He tends to get a lot of hard hit doubles to the wall. And I think you see something similar with Cabrian Hayes, who also has, in addition to that, the you know not elevating the ball problem. But Cabrian Hayes, I've had him as a breakout slash sleeper for several years now because he hits the ball really hard. You know, 92 mile per hour, 92.6 mile per hour average exit velocity, 49% hard hit rate. Those are really, really good numbers. He just hits the ball on the ground too much, and he hits the ball up the middle in the opposite way too much, which should help him hit for a better batting average than 261, especially with his speed, but he's just not going to consistently hit for power. So I, I think he's a couple of adjustments away still. Again, Towers' ranking there was Royce Lewis, Jake Berger, and then Key Brian Hayes. Let's move over to the second baseman. Zach Geloff is that dude right now. Four for five with two doubles, two RBI, and his seventh stolen base. He's batting 294. He's got eight home runs. He's got a 986 OPS, and he has seven games next week. Edouard Julian is the other name. He has struggled a bit. He's kind of slowed back down, then has a big game here on Wednesday. He was leading off once again. He went four for five with two RBI, still batting 293. He's got 10 homers in 872 OPS. Welsh, both of these guys are young and exciting. Who would you rather have, Zach Geloff or Edward Julian? 
Boy, uh, two players, Frank, we both got to see last year. Uh, I didn't think I would feel this way because I liked Zach Geloff a lot last year. I just wasn't sure where the offense was going to develop. And, you know, there's plenty of things that are going to tell us we're going to calm back down on some of this. I mean, he's got a 40 plus differential between his batting average and expected batting average. Strikeouts are a bit high, but you know what? Royce Lewis's are as well. I am going to go with Zach Geloff here, though. I think the offensive impact has been huge. You know, Edward Julian, I love the idea that he can hit higher in a lineup. It's a better offense, but we've seen those inconsistencies. July was great. August has been fine. It's been okay, but Geloff's power, Geloff's stolen bases have been relatively prolific. Huge barrel percentage, 15, 15.5% so far in the early sample. Hard hit numbers are looking good for Geloff. I mean, he's doing everything that you want. It's just going to be a matter of how is the league going to adjust to him. Um, he's actually not even seeing an insane rate on fastballs. It's around 53% right now, but he's hitting over 300, and that's a problem. So baseball is going to adjust to him here soon because he's under 220 on breaking pitches um bear, under a buck 70 on off-speed pitches and the expected numbers are good for the off-speed but you're going to get a lot more sliders you're going to get a lot more of that stuff that's going to be on him so what is that going to do and how is he going to adjust he has a 54 percent whiff rate on breaking pitches right now so when he starts getting less fastballs who is he going to become but this is a big counting stat guy i think he has less of a hit tool than edward julian but i think he's got louder tools right now for fantasy and we've only got six weeks left so guess what Maybe no one's going to readjust over these next six weeks because it's crunch time and they're not crunching the numbers to find out about this hitter. And that's going to be a next year thing. And you all are going to pay too much for Galoff next year. I'll pay for him for the rest of this year over Julian. I will do the same. And partially because of playing time too. Edward Julian still does not play consistency, mm-hmm. consistently against left-handed pitching. I don't know that he should either. I mean, the the small sample in his career so far, he has not hit well against lefties in the majors. He didn't hit well against lefties in the minors either. Mm-hmm. So I kind of worry about Julian being a long-term platoon player for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, that faint sound you hear in the background is Scott shrieking in rage at you guys picking Edward Julian or Zach Galoff ahead of Edward Julian. (laughs) I mean, he hit 200 against lefties. That's probably not going to get you in the lineup every single day. So I worry about that. Julian's fantastic. There's so many things. I think, I, I think, what did I say on here last November, Frank? I said, Edward Julian, for whatever people knew about him, will be a vet for 10 plus years in baseball. Mm -hmm. Like I could see that instantly from him when I got to see him in the AFL. You look at the numbers. He's a major league player and he'll be a good major league player. It's just with this stretch, I want want all five of those tools. And Geloff is really having no signs of slowing down until he sees a completely different arsenal, which I just don't know if that's going to happen at this point. All right, let's slide over to the catcher position. And all of a sudden... We've got three catchers. If you play in a one-catcher league, you might actually have trouble choosing which one to pick up because all three of them are red hot right now. MJ Melendez, back-to-back three-hit games. He went three for four with a double, a run, and an RBI. So far in the second half, he's batting 304 with six homers, two steals, an 886 OPS, 95.3 average exit velocity for MJ Melendez. But... Cal Raleigh could still be out there. He hit another home run on Wednesday. Cabert Ruiz could still be out there. He hit another home run on Wednesday. Towers, how are you ranking these three? MJ Melendez, Cabert Ruiz, Cal Raleigh. I would go with Raleigh at the top, then probably Melendez, and then Ruiz. I think Melendez, just the tools are a little louder. I mean, he's a guy that, like, the the raw ability is really really impressive for mj melendez 93.6 miles per hour average exit velocity 51.4 percent 51.4 percent hard hit rate that's really really good i he's been underperforming the expected stats for most of the season obviously there's a lot of swing and miss here as well which hurts his chances but he's cut the strikeout rate down to about 25 percent uh since the all-star break it was gosh, like above 30% before that. So that's the kind of thing where if he can just be a plain bad, you know, a below average or above average strikeout rate guy, MJ Melendez has real offensive ability. That's what we liked about him coming in in addition to playing outfield. Uh, And also, you know what? You're not going to have a a chance to play him at catcher next season in fantasy. So you might as well take advantage of the next month and a half or so. Again, that is MJ Melendez, who should have a leg up on 
playing time versus Cal Raleigh and Cabert Ruiz for the rest of the season. Two names in deeper leagues, uh, much deeper leagues. We're talking 15-team, five outfielder leagues here. Stone Garrett went two for four with a double dong for the Nationals. He's had a solid year. He mostly plays against left-handed pitching, uh, but I noticed he has started five straight for the Nationals, batting 266 with nine home runs, three steals, and an 804 OPS. The other name is Nelson Velasquez. Welsh, correct me if I'm wrong. Nelson Velasquez was the AFL Player of the Year back in 2021, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he won. Yeah, that was the Gabriel Moreno year. He won the MVP for the Arizona Fall League that year. Him and J.J. Bleday were on the same team, and they were bonkers. And Velasquez had like nine homers. He was out, he was with the Cubs at the time, absolutely crushing everything. And he just beat out uh, J.J. Bleday that year, both on new teams now. Too. Yeah. So Nelson Velasquez went two for four with a home run here and five games with the Royals. Now he has six hits. He has three homers. He's always hit the ball really hard in the minors, but also strikes out a ton. Welsh, any interest here in the deepest league? Stone Garrett with the Nationals. Nelson Velasquez now with the Royals. You know, I don't want to be dismissive of Stone Garrett because, you know, there's a little bit of stolen base potential in here and he's been all right. But I think Nelson Velasquez is the guy that I'm interested in because I think you could get an extended look on him. He's hitting 316 in August so far. Obviously, you've got a couple homers. Uh, he hasn't walked, but the strikeouts haven't been absolutely insane. And, you know, hitting can be infectious with a lot of those guys that are going to be hitting in front of him, getting on base. There might be RBI opportunities. He really is a big, hard hit guy long term anyways. I don't think we have enough like real sample size to go nuts about it. But I mean, almost a 20% barrel percentage over 110 max EV, which kind of tells you where he's sitting and 61% hard hit so far in this early run. I, if I'm going deep, deep, I'm trying to get for some power numbers. Nelson Velasquez is a deep option. I would take a look at. All right, let's hit some news and notes. Jeff Passan reported that Wander Franco is being investigated by the authorities in the Dominican Republic. Franco was placed on the restricted list earlier this week. And it's just, we're in wait-and-see mode right now. Once we hear more, obviously, we will let you know. Carlos Rodon threw a five-inning simulated game on Wednesday in Tampa. As long as he responds well to the workout with no renewed discomfort, Rodon should be able to slot back into the Yankees rotation next week on August 22nd. I think that's Tuesday against the Nationals. Hunter Green will be activated off the 60-day IL to start Sunday against the Blue Jays. It'll be his first start since June 17th. And in four rehab starts, Green had a 2.57 ERA, just over a strikeout per inning. Uh, and it's a very welcome sight for fantasy and for the Reds because, man, the and Reds are struggling. Are you going to start him, though? Are you, are you comfortable starting him coming off of this injury against the Blue Jays on a Sunday? Uh, Not me. In a daily lineup league, I guess it'll depend on, like, your head-to-head matchups, I guess, where you're at. The Blue Jays lineup has been... Pretty bad without Bo Bichette, so I don't know. I think I don't know. Do I think the elite of the elite pitchers get the special pass for me to start them coming off elongated injuries. And I would, this is just, I mean, maybe it's going to be an eight strikeout, four inning game or something like that. I just don't know how deep he goes. And this is, yeah, daily, like you said, daily. This is probably something I avoid, but that's me. He has been, I haven't been able to find out exactly what pitch he's been working on, but he has been working on another pitch i don't know it it's been hard to figure out because you know we have some minor league pitch data but it's not as finely tuned let's say as the major league data so it looks i think it's been classified as a slider but it's got a different movement profile than his slider um so that's that's one thing to keep an eye on with hunter green when he comes back because obviously he's been very fastball slider heavy throughout his career and he's been looking for you know, whether it's a, you know, more of a gyro type slider or, or what it ends up being. Um, that's I can speculate. On. One thing to speculate on, if you just uh, obviously I think like sweeper is like the thing that would jump out. to yeah. you. But at the same time, Nicola Dolo, they've been working together and Justin Dunn. If you guys remember Justin Dunn, he actually pitched yep. tonight in the complex league. The three of them have been in Goodyear for like two months together. And what do we know about um, Lodolo? He's got that big loopy sweeping slider. So I just, you know, creating a story out of my head here. I think it's feasible to say if you're going to work on something and you got a guy that can throw the you know big loop, looping breaking balls, maybe working with Lodolo every single day as they have been training, maybe we're going to see more of that tighter gyro sweeper change, uh, you know, switching between as far as those breaking pitches. So something to watch. 
Back to the news. Marcus Stroman is dealing with a right rib cartilage fracture and is uh, without a timetable to return. Jonathan India expressed dismay at how the Reds originally assessed his plantar fasciitis injury. At the time, the Reds prescribed a week of inactivity uh, and India suffered a setback. Upon visiting a doctor, he was told he originally should have rested for two weeks. And I'm, I don't know. It just kind of feels like this relationship between the Reds and India, it's... Yeah, kind of weird since McLean and and Taylor yeah, Cruz got called he, up. He's kind of stuck in the middle, right? Like he's yeah. a veteran on that team, which means he's in his third MLB season. Like it's like Joey Votto's the super veteran, and like Jonathan India is the second most longest tenured player on the team, or something. So it's it's been a tough. It it feels like he's going to get traded, and and. Honestly, if he hadn't gone on the IL, what, a week before the trade deadline, I, I feel like he might have gotten traded this year. Could have. Could have happened. Uh, Hunter Brown is slated to rejoin the Astros rotation Sunday against the Mariners, and I knew he would be skipped earlier this week. He actually picked up a win in relief. I didn't think he would actually get a start during this scoring period, so that's my bad. I apologize for telling people to bench Hunter Brown. Ryan Don't H- take the L on the win in relief, though. No, I will not do that. That, I, was, that was just bad luck. Nobody knows. Uh, Ryan Helsley <laughs> underwent an MRI that showed improvement, uh, improved healing in his strained right forearm, but remains without a clear, clear timetable to resume his rehab assignment. Jojo Romero it is. Kind of looks like mm-hmm. the guy right now for the Cardinals. Sean Murphy was out of the lineup Wednesday, and his playing time has been very sporadic recently. It's kind of weird. He started just 8 of 16 games in August, and... There's no report of an injury. I haven't noticed anything in particular. Welsh, isn't this weird? Sean Murphy has been one of the best overall hitters in baseball this year, not just among catchers. He's only started half the games in August. The only thing I want, coming back to the wall, you got to think about, you know, Sean Murphy and some of these catchers that are playing, you know, whether they're going in DHing. If you're starting to get a little bit of a wear down, this can be the type time of year where, you know, you might even see like third catchers coming in, taking relief, giving a little bit of playing time uh, push back until the playoffs. Again, it's speculation because it is weird. And what else do we know well, about? No, this? I, I think there might be some specifics there, though. Remember, over the over the weekend, he took. Uh, he got hit by a backswing on Saturday, and That's then on true. Sunday night, I think in the seventh inning, he got hit by a, by a backswing and actually had a big gash in his head, and ended That's up true. staying in the game. But it, it, I, you know, I do wonder if it might be related to that, if anything. It's just weird. He a was recent. he was sitting out games even before that happened, yeah. right? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. The recent ones, maybe, but right. not before. You know, it, it's a problem for us for fantasy, and you know, we can complain about it, but. From the Braves' perspective, it's a luxury yeah. for them. Travis Darno is a great backup catcher. They want Sean Murphy fresh for the playoffs. It's like they have a huge lead in NLE. They They've got a 900 OPS as a team since the All-Star break. That's yeah. not an exaggeration. Literally, right. entering today, it was a 903 OPS, which is just offensive, frankly. <laughs> um, they've had two different months this season where they're, as a team, have had an OPS over 900. That's just ridiculous. So, yeah, they, they've... They certainly have the luxury of being a little more cautious with it. Must be nice. Lars Newbar left Wednesday after fouling a ball off his groin, which if you haven't seen it, nah. I'll just leave it at that. The Rockies manager, Bud Black, said Chris Bryant could potentially place him first base upon his return. Eloy Jimenez was out of the lineup due to renewed groin discomfort. Sky is blue, grass is green. Lord Esguriel was removed Wednesday due to a left hip contusion. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll talk about some of those struggling pitchers here. Aaron Nola, Kevin Gosman, is there anything wrong? Charlie Morton actually had his best start in quite some time. We'll talk about those right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Quick reminder to like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Aces who didn't exactly pitch like an ace on Wednesday. Aaron Nola, five innings, four runs, four walks. That's kind of weird for him. Uh, did have seven strikeouts at the Toronto Blue Jays in this one. He's got a 4.58 ERA in the season. Just a weird year for Aaron Nola. Kevin Gosman, he was even worse on the other side. Five and a third innings, seven runs. Five of those were earned. Uh, four strikeouts to three walks. And in Kevin Gosman fashion, allowed a lot of hard contact in this one, which does happen to him at times. Justin Verlander at the Marlins. We mentioned this one earlier. Five innings, five runs allowed. Uh, four of those were earned. He also allowed a ton of hard contact. Ten hard hits in this game for Verlander. Towers, anything that you noticed here with uh, Verlander, Gosman, and uh, Nola that might worry you for the rest of the season. I mean, Nola, it's not just the rest of the season, right? This is who he's been all season, and it's actually gotten worse. All career. Since the All-Star all career, break. And yeah, it, Just look at his season-by-season season yeah. ERA. It's one year up, one year down. It's a mess. It's, he's a weird pitcher. I, I think part of it might just be him. My, my theory all along has been that he doesn't have, like, I don't want to say he doesn't have ace stuff because he's got really, really good stuff. But, you know, the he's not throwing 97, right? You know, like he, he doesn't have overpowering stuff. So I, I think it might just be that his margin for error is just a little slimmer than some of the other high level pitchers. But because of his you know ability to pitch it deep into games and stay healthy and all those things, he kind of comes out as an ace in the end when when you take it all into account. But, yeah, I, I guess. I look forward to buying low on Aaron Nola next season. I don't really know what else to say. Like, I still think he's good. I, I still, you know, would view him as like a top 25 starting pitcher the rest of the season, but obviously he hasn't pitched like that. And, you know, the curveball has been a little less effective overall. That seems like the biggest change from last season. Um, and it's his most used pitch. So that's, that's less than ideal. Gosman is having such an interesting season. Cause he's kind of just like, he's becoming like, Mecca Gosman. I don't know if that reference makes sense, but he's becoming like the most Kevin Gosman version of Kevin Gosman ever, where he's got the highest strikeout rate of his career, higher even than 2020, which was the, the shortened season. He's also got the worst quality of contact of his career, even going back to when he was really bad in, uh, in Baltimore. And so it's like these extremes where if he's missing a few fewer bats than normal he's gonna get hit pretty hard but all in all i mean the the overall numbers i, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about with gosman it's just who he is towers i have one other name for you charlie morton had his best start in a while six shutout innings four hits one walk 10 strikeouts which tied a season high against the yankees he had 15 swinging strikes on 94 pitches and noticed he did change up his pitch mix a little bit he still led with that Amazing curveball. He kind of faded his four-seam fastball through more sinkers and cutters. It's not something we typically see out of Charlie Morton. Uh, this was his first start with less than three walks since July 14th. So it has been quite some time. Uh, Towers, your thoughts here on Charlie Morton and uh, if we should start him next week against the New York Mets. Uh, we've talked a lot about the glob and, you know, take your shot if you're playing the drinking game and the random number generators. and. This feels like a bit of a random number generator game and also just like the vibes are really bad with the Yankees. Like th this might just be a really bad team the rest of the way. They've been, uh, you know, even with Aaron Judge back, the offense just hasn't been very good. He's he's amazing, obviously. There, there was, man, Charlie Morton, did you see the, the strikeout that he had on Aaron Judge? No. I think he struck him out. I don't know if it was a three pitch at bat, but he all three strikes were on the the curveball, and one of them was kind of hung up in the upper inside quadrant. And Aaron Judge just kind of like ducked out of the way. He he was clearly fooled on it. It's mm. 
a sign that when Charlie Morton's on, he can still be very good. But I don't I don't expect this to be the beginning of a breakout, given how bad, especially the control has been lately. Would you trust him against the Mets next week? I don't think I would. You know, I, I guess it like if we're talking about comparing him to like the Javier Assad guys and you were thinking about picking up one of those guys to stream Mike Clevenger, I'd probably go with him over them. But, you know, certainly still not someone I, I feel very good about. All right, let's quickly run through some prospect updates here with the Welsh. I'm going to throw a bunch of names your way. You sent these over to me, Welsh. You said guys that we might see in September. Jordan Lawler from your Arizona Diamondbacks. His first game at AAA on Tuesday, he went one for four with two walks and a 420-foot home run. Did get off to a slow start this year, but obviously has turned his season around in quite a big way. There was a recent report that Cubs, the Cubs could promote their top prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong, in September as well. And then there's two other names here. Darrell Hernaiz uh, is a 22-year-old second-base prospect with the A's, and Pedro Leon, a 25-year-old outfielder, with the Astros, uh, Welsh, what do you have on that group? Yeah, so like Pete Crow, I feel the most confident about. And you know why I also feel the most confident about it? Because I'm liking it just to how I was with Corbin Carroll last year, where it was like, all right, he's good. I'm getting him for the AFL. This is going to be exciting. He's just getting to AAA. This is, and then, bam, majors. They give him that work. I think the best play any team can do if they're going to, you know, manipulate that service time stuff and have a guy start next year is get them a little bit of playing time now and then push them into next year. Not to say that they won't go to the AFL, but literally Gunner and Corbin Carroll both played this in rookie of the year favorites. And I think that's Pete Crow. I think Pete Crow is the guy that is aligned for this. Any reports out there, it's fantastic news. Double A this year hit 289, 14 homers, 27 stolen bases, 24% K percentage. In 11 games in AAA, hitting 289 with a 24% K percentage, four homers, three stolen bases. He is close to a 20-30 minor league season. He is also just one of the better hitters in baseball. That's a guy I'm betting on, especially if you're looking for rookies. I think he's a guy that's going to come up. Lawler I'm speculating on because the AAA move, the Diamondbacks are kind of in a, uh, they're moving their roster all around. It's been disarray the whole time. Lawler can defensively play. The bat is going. I really think there's a possibility, and they've shown us their path last year with Corbin Carroll, Jordan Lawler will be in contention to take that spot at shortstop at the beginning of this coming year, this next coming season. So I think showing us that they're going to do this, especially if they get out of contention. I think both of those guys can be bets as well as Colt Keith. I threw a couple other guys at you just to say, if you're looking for any long shots, one of those was uh, Pedro Leon. And if you remember Pedro Leon with the Astros, over the last 30 days, he's in the Pacific Coast League, which obviously helps. Eight homers over the last 30 days, 313 batting average, over 600 slug, four stolen bases. His strikeouts are always a problem, but he can play short in the outfield if the Astros are looking for something. And they have to see what they've got out of him because this is like it with Pedro Leon. So I do think we're going to see him in September. And uh, the other guy I brought to you was uh, Darnell Hernandez, who used to be a Baltimore Orioles guy, and he's now with the A's. And he has had a smoking start the last 30 days, or at least over the last 30. 333, two homers. He is tied for fourth in total hits in the PCL over the last 30 days, five stolen bases, bunch of walks can get on base. I think that's a guy that we could see for just a little bit more depth. But if I'm, you know, ranking them, it's page, it's a uh, Armstrong, Jordan Lawler, Pedro Leone, as far as a few bats to bet on those top two guys are the main prospects I'd be looking for. If you're still playing that game in redraft for the rest of the season, you mentioned if we don't see Jordan Lawler, at the end of this year, there is a chance we could see him on opening day rosters next year. And you did send me over five uh, pretty big names that you think they might be competing for a spot on opening day rosters next season. Just guys that need to be on our radar. Uh, Junior Caminero, 20-year-old third base prospect with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's been amazing. Jackson Trio, we heard, we've heard for you know the past couple of years. 19-year-old outfielder with the Brewers. Jackson Holiday, you know, he's just moved up every level and just continues to hit. And then two names that were just drafted in this year's draft. Dylan Cruz, who's with the Nationals, the second overall pick. Uh, he's played nine games at A-ball. He's batting 326 with four homers. And Paul Skeens, who is a 21-year-old starting pitcher with the Pirates, he recently got bumped up to A-ball as well. Uh, any quick thoughts here on Skeens, Cruz, Holiday, Trio, and Caminero? So I actually think one of these guys could even be a sneaky this year guy. 
Mm. And it's Junior Caminero. Um, I will say, I don't know if you guys talked about this news at all. Very strange, very unraised like they sent short and you can understand some of the situation going on with the Rays, by the way, and why they might be doing some of this. But they sent Carson Williams, who is in high A up to triple A. He skipped double A. We don't see that that often. And that's not a raise move. That's a very odd move. And then he proceeded to hit. Um, Carson Williams has got some strikeout issues, which I'm a little concerned about. Batting average issues, but he's got tons and tons of talent. So you could be like, oh, well, Carson Williams is the guy and Camonero is below him. I'm not necessarily so sure that that's going to be the case because I think Camonero is a guy that could surprise us. I really do. Over the last 30 days, 310 batting average, six homers. He's controlled the strikeouts. It's 20%. Uh, he's a doubles machine as well. He's polished. He's young. I wouldn't be surprised to get some good-natured stuff going on with the Rays that maybe in what all of this chaos is going on, they bring up who might be the next big face of this organization, Caminero, up. I think he's a likely guy. The rest I just don't see as this year, guys. I will say that I personally believe that Churio and Jackson Holiday will be in the Arizona Fall League. Um, the other two... I truly think Dylan Cruz has an opportunity to break camp. Uh, I actually, of all these guys, I think Dylan Cruz might be one of the highest of all these players to break with the team next year. Questions with Caminero, Churio could be likely, but Dylan Cruz has been a freaking monster in his day. Hard hit across the board, destroying every level. He's now played 10 games. The homers are there. The stolen bases are there. He doesn't get beat. He's not striking out in any insane clip. I really do think that's a possibility. Skeens is further away. My only argument to Skeens would be that this is a pitcher with a lot of wear and tear. There's already some questions maybe about shape and spending too much time in the minors. I'm not sure if this team would, if the Pirates really would want to do. They may want to get the bullets while you have them. So I think all five of these guys are guys to pay attention to for next year, which also makes them players to just keep a side eye on in September if a team decided to bring up, though I do not think Skeens and Cruz are that. I do think Caminero, even Holiday, and Churio are all surprise options we could wake up one morning and see. And again, just remember those names. If you are a madman like me and you like to do uh, these off-season slow drafts, we have these 50-round uh, draft champions drafts over at totally. the NFBC. These are just names that you draft in the later rounds, and hopefully they make an impact at some point next year. Let's wrap up with some leftovers here, and I've got four pitchers. Aaron Savali turned in his first quality start uh, as a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. James Paxton also turned in a quality start. Nice to see his velocity was back up in this one. Last start, the average fastball was 93.8 miles per hour. This start, 95.6 for Paxton. So nice to see that back up there. John Gray, back-to-back seven-inning starts. Uh, unfortunately, the other side of uh, Reed Detmers for, for John Gray in that one. And Blake Snell just keeps doing his thing. Six innings, two runs, five strikeouts for him. He leads baseball with a 2.65 ERA. He also leads baseball with 78 walks this season. <laughs> it's something that has... According to the Padres broadcast, has never been done in baseball history. Leading the league in ERA and leading the league in, in walks. Crazy stuff. Uh, Towers, any thoughts on uh, Blake Snell, John Gray, Paxton, and Aaron Savali? Yeah, I mean, I, I made the joke about Kevin Gosman ascending to his final form. This might be Blake Snell's final form where he just becomes the the two true outcomes pitcher. Everything's either a strikeout or a walk. Yeah, I mean, look, in, in this one, at least the walks were low. You know, that that's the... He had been like seven walks per nine since the All-Star break or something before this one. So I'll take that. That's 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 an upgrade for where he's been. Uh, you know, he's been someone who obviously it's it's not actionable since most trades are done, but I didn't expect him to sustain his production moving forward. He needs to figure out a way to keep the walks under control better than he had been. This is a good start. Hopefully he can keep that going moving forward. I don't have a ton of faith in Aaron Savale. Um, I know he's been proving me wrong all season in that regard, but I still think he's more like a four-ish ERA pitcher than what he's been. The one thing that's interesting is just I wonder with all of the injuries for the Rays, are they going to give him a little longer of a leash? You know, he, that they're a team that doesn't necessarily let guys pitch third time through the order very often, doesn't let guys go six innings very often. Even in this one, though, only 89 pitches, so... You know, not necessarily signs of that yet. That's always a problem with the Rays is you've got to be really efficient to get the quality to start with them. Um, but yeah, I 
if I had to rank Snell's way ahead of the rest of them, but I, I think I'd still go Paxton, Grace, Savale among those three. Yeah, I think so too. Last pitcher note here. Uh, Scott and I got duped by Matthew Libertor. That's right. Once again, uh, he allowed six runs against the Oakland A's. And, you know, we were buying back in because the velocity was up his last start. He was talking about all these mechanical adjustments that he's made. The Cardinals have kind of figured something out. And then he goes out, he gets rocked again. His velocity was back down. It looks like, as of now, Matthew Libertor can only pitch well when he kind of really goes for it and uh, that velocity is up. When the velocity is up, it looks like he pitches pretty well. But other than that, it's it's been a... Pretty big train wreck for Matthew Libertor. A few hitting leftovers. I feel like this hasn't happened before. I could be wrong, but Josh Lowe and Brandon Lau both homered in the same game. Josh, his 15th home run. Brandon, his 16th home run. And a cool stat per MLB.com, Brandon Lau became the fastest primary second baseman to reach 100 career home runs ever. He did it in 477 games, so shout out to him. Matt McClain, coming back down to earth a little bit recently, and then he went off on Wednesday, three for five with a sock and two shoes, 13th home run, and uh, now up to 11 steals on the season. Bryce Harper, three for four with a double dong. He's got nine home runs and seven steals. The power is down this year. Feels like he might be a little bit unlucky. His expected slug is about 40 points higher than his actual slugging percentage, so perhaps we see more power from Bryce Harper over the final couple of months here. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, four for six with two RBI and two steals has really turned it on in the second half, batting 295 with six homers, eight steals, and an 871 OPS. The call to the bullpen, a few updates for the Mets. Brooks Raley pitched in the seventh inning with a three-run lead. The Mets tacked on a few more runs. Adam Ottavino pitched in the ninth. And currently, I would say it's Adam Ottavino's job to lose. For the Tigers, Jason Foley got the ninth inning with a four-run lead. He gave up three runs, including two homers, and... The Tigers are kind of searching in the back end right now. I I think Foley might be the leader, but it also might not matter because they're a pretty bad team. For the Diamondbacks, Welsh, you know, used to come on here every week. We didn't know who the closer was. We know who the closer is now. You want to ask me? Is Pete <laughs> Pulsywald the answer? Sure. Of course he is. He's now the answer, even though all the other guys still stink. Miguel Castro, remember when we had that? Giving up runs. They all stink. Good. Trade everything for Paul Seawald. Doesn't matter anymore. But yes, he is the answer, Frank. He is the guy. 25th save, back-to-back days with a save for Paul Seawald. For the Braves, Rysel Iglesias picked up his 23rd. For the Angels, Carlos Estevez has struggled recently. He allowed two hits and a long fly ball to right center field. I thought it was out, uh, but just missed being a walk-off three-run homer. He escaped with his 26th save, but... It's been a rough go here for Carlos Estevez. Gregory Santos entered in the ninth inning with a two-run lead. Did not record an out. He gave up a three-run homer to Christopher Morel. Took his second blown save and first loss of the year. For the Mariners, with Andres Munoz unavailable, Matt Brash got the ninth inning. He uh, gave up a solo homer but picked up his third save. It feels like the Mariners have had a save opportunity every single game since Paul Seawald has been traded. And frankly... I think that they've been overworking Andres Munoz, and that's why he hasn't been at his best. So uh, he needed a day off. He threw like 42 pitches on Tuesday night. Hopefully he gets back on track. And for the Padres, Josh Hader picked up his 27th save of the year. To stream or not to stream, Thursday we've got a light slate of action. I think we've only got six games. And the only name I gave out yesterday was Jose Quintana at the Cardinals. And even that one I don't really love. Big ol' nope. None of them. Maybe Rich Hill, if you want to pretend the Diamondback offense is going to kind of be putrid, but um, I don't. I don't want to hinge the rest of my week on these. No, Lance Lynn is not a, a streamer at this point, right? He's too rostered. So no, yeah. I. Quintana's fine. I mean, at least he's going deep into games. You know that that's pretty much. I I don't think he's good, but he can be useful. Yeah, Lance Lynn up to ninety three percent rostered and. Has looked pretty good with the Dodgers recently. On Friday, uh, it, we have a full slate, but not many waiver wire pitchers available. I guess I would go with Andrew Heaney against the Brewers and yeah. maybe Seth Lugo against the D-backs. 
I there's I don't want to say Brandon fought like I love the things that are <laughs> changing and everything like that the strikeouts the only thing is this like that team is the type of team I think that can get eight you know he can get eight strikeouts on but it's not the team for how he gives up homers so yeah I would rather play the other side if I was playing that Heaney's the only one that really jumped out to me as something I'd want to play all right we're gonna wrap there for the Chris's Towers and the Welsh I am Frank thanks as always for tuning in to fantasy baseball today please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify and we will be back again tomorrow bye bye